Stay with us following this week's Crosswalk for information on Pastor Clay's new book, I Get It, Discovering How to Really Live in the Promises of God. Growing in God's Word and learning how to take up our cross and follow Jesus, this is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh. Then they sent some of the Pharisees and the Herodians to him in order to trap him in a statement with what they see is a perfect trap that they have set for Jesus. In school, do you remember having pop quizzes? Usually you'd come into class and the teacher would say something like, put your books away and take out a pencil. We're going to have a pop quiz. It was a way for teachers to make sure their students had studied the material. But imagine having a pop quiz intended to cause you to fail. If Jesus says, you you don't have to pay that tax, the people would have been happy to hear that, but the Romans would not have been happy to hear that, and they would have arrested Jesus for inciting civil disobedience. If he says, yeah, you should pay the tax, well, then the people are going to get mad at him and perhaps even turn violent against him. I'm Rick Freeman. Hello and welcome to Crosswalk. Pastor Clay's back with us today and continuing our series, Jesus, the Real Action Hero. If you've been with us for this series, you know it's a study in the book of Mark. Today we come to a section where Jesus faced a pop quiz from people looking to trip him up. And Jesus' answer is so simplistically brilliant that it literally leaves them speechless. But as Pastor Clay is going to explain, Jesus was more than ready for their questions. And his answers teach us much more about how to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus in this world. Now here's Pastor Clay. I have it on good authority that heaven is going to be a really cool place. Uh, And I don't know what y'all's... And again, I'm getting ahead of myself in the sermon. I don't know what y'all's idea of heaven is, but I, I really don't believe it's floating around on a cloud strumming a harp. I, 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 don't think that's, I don't think that's it. So if somewhere that idea has gotten into your theology, uh, in, in the places where Scripture, and, and, and God doesn't tell us everything about heaven, I don't believe we can handle it. But uh, uh, in places where it does talk about it, it's, uh, it's a lot more than that anyway. So... Thank y'all again. I was thinking this week, uh, just what an amazing uh, uh, church we have. And I want to encourage you, invite other people. Tell them that, that it's, not, it's not, not that we're special or anything else, but man, I just, I just love what God is doing at Cross Culture and, and the way you guys uh, have ministered to so many people, not just me. And we've had a number of, of uh, incidents this week and a num- number of prayer requests that were needed and things like that. Just before the service uh, this morning, Ken Armstrong told me that um, that his, his son-in-law uh, had an uncle that was killed last night uh, in Durham, struck on, on, a, on a bike. I'm not sure if it was a motorcycle or a bicycle, and, and they, people fled the, the scene. And, and uh, so there, there's tragedy, and there's, there's hardships, and there's trials, and there's difficulties that, that go on around us all the time. And you've all got some, and Ivy alluded to that this morning in, in worship. And, and uh, wasn't worship just great uh, because our God is so worthy of our, our worship um, our, our worship pastor, John Spolino, and his wife, Amber, are away this weekend getting a little uh, R&R, uh, and we're grateful for them, but so grateful for Ivy and, and, and Allie, just their ability to, to not only lead our student ministry, but to, to step in and lead in worship in that way. So um, you have stuff in your life, too. Everybody does. And one of the things about 
One of the things about the stuff in our lives is that it often requires that we make some choices. Life is, life is full of choices. Would that be safe to say? Would y'all agree with that? Life is, is full of choices. Did you know that according to Sonic's website, they have, not, I think this is the correct number, 989,929 no, I'm sorry, 300. Did I say nine? 389,929 various options, uh, combinations of options of drinks and slushes. <laughs> Is that, I mean, I knew they had a lot, um, but according to this quiz uh, thing on their, on their website, Three, I think it's 389,929 different options for you to, to choose from, right? We, we just, life is, is full of, of choices. We, we, we make choices all the time. You go into an to a ice cream uh, place or frozen yogurt because it's fat-free, right? <laughs> frozen yogurt place and what? There's, there's usually dozens of options to choose from. Breakfast cereals in the grocery store? I don't know. It, it probably close to or at least a hundred different kinds of, of cereals that you can choose from, right? Restaurants, forget about it. You can't, you can't even keep up with how many restaurants it seems like are springing up all over the place. Choices. Hey, between my time in the hospitals and, and my time at home in the recliner, I, I've watched a, too much, really, but uh, a pretty good amount of television over the last three months. Uh, it's amazing the, the, the number of choices that there are, the number of channels that there are uh, to, to choose from. Now, there's still not very much good on television. Um, Top Gear, English version. Don't even bother with the American version. Um, anything Alaska. Uh, you know, there's, there's a few, I'm sure, you all have our favorite things, but uh, it, it's just amazing how many choices there are. I, I was telling Lauren, my daughter-in-law, the other day that, that when, uh, when I was growing up, there were three options for television. There were three channels to watch. Some of y'all, some of y'all, come on. There was NBC, ABC, and CBS, and that, that was it. And the TV went off at a certain time, like midnight or something, and the American flag came on, and y'all remember all but, now, but nowadays, there, there are so many choices to make. Now, some choices that we make are rather mundane, right? I mean, they don't, I mean they're just part of, of just the everyday choices of life, which direction I'm going or what I want for lunch or, you know, and they don't, they don't seem to carry that much significance to them. But then some choices that we have to make in life carry a significant amount of, of impact uh, to our lives. They, they, they have a, a great significance because of the choices that have to be made. Some choices are more important than other choices. Have you ever chosen poorly? You ever made some choices in life and you look back at it and you say to yourself, what in the world was I thinking? <laughs> Maybe I wasn't thinking. Maybe I wasn't praying. Maybe I wasn't, but choices. Now, uh, of 
and there, there are, like I said, there are mundane choices, there are significant choices, but of all the choices that we make, as, as important a choice as any, I think, that we make on a daily basis is the choice to choose between, between physical and spiritual. To choose between living for now and living for eternity. Now, whether you realize it or not, that is a choice that in some sense we make every day. Uh, and, and, and sometimes we make it almost decision by decision. I mean, some things, different things may come into our lives at, at different times. And, and we make choices about whether what, the way we're going to respond to this situation or the way we're going to handle this person or the, the, the priority that we're going to put on this point in our life, that, that it, it comes down to this choice between the spiritual versus the physical, the, the, the then, the eternity versus the, the here and now. You make those choices. Students make those choices in school. You make those choices in, in, the, in the workplace or in the home place. We make choices. I, I want to read uh, some scripture to you this morning from Mark chapter 12, where Jesus is approached by two different, well, yeah, really it's three different groups, but two, two different times, two, two groups come to him and one individual comes to him. And they ask him a, a series of questions. Three questions, in fact. That's what it comes down to. Time allowing, we'll get to all three of them today. And how Jesus answers these questions, here's what I want you to get. How Jesus answers those questions is both brilliant and practical for your life today. Listen, I don't care, as Ivy said, whatever is going, maybe in your life right now, whatever is going on, whatever it's, there are choices that you're making in your life in that life situation as to how you are handling it or will handle it. Or uh, Let's read this and see how Jesus can kind of help us with some of these choices in life between this spiritual versus physical. Open your Bibles to Mark chapter 12. Um beginning this morning in verse 13. Mark 12, beginning in verse 13. Uh, I'm going to give you three propositions, if you will, uh, to, to kind of go along with the three questions. Okay? Are you all excited? Yes. <laughs> well, tell your face then to get easy. No, that's what, no. Y'all with me. Here's, the, here's the first proposition. I'm going to have to turn around here to look at it. Here's the first proposition. It, let's talk about a perspective, a perspective that keeps the world in its place, right? Because we're, we're, we're making this choice between whether I'm living for now, living for the world. I'm in the world, right? And we've discussed that over the last few weeks. I'm in the world. I know that. I interact, all that kind of stuff. But, but how do I keep these two where they belong, so to speak? Let's talk about a perspective that keeps the world in its place. I'm in Mark chapter 12. And I'm beginning in verse 13. Here we go. Then they sent some of the Pharisees and the Herodians to him in order to trap him in a statement. They came and said to him, Teacher, we know that you are truthful and defer to no one. Notice how they're setting him up for this. For you are not partial to any. But teach the way of God in truth. Now, if they really believe that, why didn't they follow him? But, but teach the way of God in truth. 
Is it lawful to pay a poll tax to Caesar or not? Shall we pay or shall we not pay? But he, meaning Jesus, knowing their hypocrisy, said to them, why are you testing me? Bring me a denarius to look at. And they brought one, a coin. He said to them, whose likeness and inscription is this? And they said to him, it's Caesar's. And Jesus said to them, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And they were amazed at him. Let me tell you how, how badly these guys must have hated and or been afraid of Jesus. You've got the Pharisees, and, and um, imagine a, a good number of you know who they were. They were part of the religious bunch of Israel of that day. They were part of the religious establishment, the, the religious uh, leadership the Pharisees controlled the synagogues. And the synagogues were, basically you could think of it as like the local church today for the Christian church. The synagogues was, was the local teaching place in each town where the Jews would, would learn the word of God and they would, they would learn their schooling as well and to read and write and all that, all that kind of things. But the Pharisees had control of the synagogues. They were legalists, okay? Does everybody know what, what do I mean by a legalist? They, they taught that if you uh, kept... All the, the laws, the commandments of God, and the ones that they had added to it, which was quite significant, if you kept all of those, that would keep you in good standing with God. It was a works-based salvation. Which, by the way, if you ever get in a conversation with somebody that is, is not a, a follower of Jesus, but they have a religious conviction or religious belief system, uh, if, if you peel it away enough, if you ask enough questions at its core, that is exactly what you will find. All religions ultimately come down to a works-based salvation. So uh, they, they, they are these legalists, right? And according here, beginning in verse 13... They are in partnership, they are in cahoots with the Herodians. Now, the Herodians were followers of Herod, who was the puppet king in Israel at that time, right? Most of you know that historically, in that time period, in that part of the world, the Roman Empire ruled a significant part of the world, including Israel. Rome was in power, Rome was, was in place, and they called the shots, they ruled Israel. They had a governor that they put in place, and, and by this time, his name is what? No, Pilate, but close. Pilate's in place at that, at that point. He's the, he's the governor of, uh, appointed by the Romans, right? But, but the Romans, what they would do is that they would still allow countries to have kings. They were puppet kings. They didn't really have much authority. Maybe among the people they had, they had some, but they didn't have a lot of authority, but it was a way for the people to kind of still feel like maybe they, they still had control of their lives or they still had their kingdom. They didn't really. They, they had no control. The Romans did, but it at least maybe made them feel a little bit like they did. Now, Herod had bought or murdered his way uh, to, the, to the crown to become king. He lived a raucous, decadent, sinful life by, by all the accounts that we have. He did not keep the Jewish law. He was not a descendant of David. 
And so, under normal circumstances, the Pharisees hated the Herodians. They hated Herod and all those who partied it up with him. But now, here they are, like best buddies, coming together for what they see as a common enemy. And who is that? That's right. You see, the Pharisees were afraid of Jesus' authority. That is, the people f- submitted to Jesus' authority and believed in his teaching and his authority, that the Pharisees would lose the authority that they had. They would lose control, and, and they would no longer be in a position of power. The Herodians were afraid of Jesus' popularity. Uh, if this keeps up, and I mean, the other day he came into town and people were shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, glory to God in the highest. If this keeps up, they're going to name him their Messiah King, and where's that going to leave us in Herod? So they come together, they hatch this plan, and then they, they bring it to Jesus. And here it is, it's up on the screen. They come and, and, and they have this question. So there, is it lawful to pay a poll tax to Caesar or not? Shall we pay or shall we not pay? Now, a poll tax was, basically it was just a per person tax, okay, that the Romans put on lots of nations, but they, they put on Israel, and the people of Israel had to pay the, the tax, and they hate it to pay the tax. I can't understand that. Who hates paying tax? <laughs> they hate it. They hate it paying the, the tax because, well, you know, not only was it money out of their pocket, but, it, but this, was, this was to the Romans. They, they were having to give this to the Romans. And so, Here come the Pharisees and the Herodians with what they see is a perfect trap that they have set for Jesus. That we have got him, we have nailed him, there's no way he can get out of this. Because, here's what happens, if Jesus says, "You, you don't have to pay that tax. If Jesus says that, the people would have been happy to hear that. But the Romans would not have been happy to hear that. And they would have arrested Jesus for inciting civil disobedience. So... He got rid of Jesus. If he says, yeah, you should pay the tax, well, then the people are going to get mad at him and perhaps even turn violent against him. So in their mind, they've got this absolute perfect trap set in place. And Jesus' answer is so simplistically brilliant that it literally leaves them speechless. Bring me the coin that you pay the tax with. They bring him a coin. Well, whose likeness is on this coin? Well, Caesar's likeness is on this coin. Well, then why don't you give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar? And give to Jesus, or give to God what belongs to God. It is a brilliant response. Because it, it says, whether they were willing to admit it or not, it says, in essence, to the people, listen, you're, whether you admit it or not, you're already submitting to the authority of Caesar because you're already using this coin as a form of commerce every day in your lives. And by doing so, you are recognizing that the Roman government has the, the financial backing to, to support the use of that coin. So you are submitting to their authority already. You're just giving to Caesar what already belongs to Caesar. It's really not that big a deal. Let me try and, specifically in the context of government, clarify just a little bit 
um, when the, what the Apostle Paul says in, in Romans uh, chapter 13. He says, every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God, and they have a have opposed the, and they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves for rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior but for evil do you want to have no fear of authority do what is good and you will have praise from the same for it is a minister it meaning government is a minister of God to you for good but if you do what is evil be afraid for it does not bear the sword for nothing For it is a minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. Therefore, it is necessary to be in subjection, to place yourself under their authority. Not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For rulers are servants, devoting themselves to this very thing. So render to all what is due them. Tax to whom taxes do, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, and honor to whom honor. Now, what, what is clear is that God established government for the, for the protection of so, uh, society, for, uh, the, uh, for the dealing with those who practice or do evil things, wrong things, unlawful things. Now, it doesn't mean that all governments are good. They're not. It doesn't mean that governments do good all the time. They do not. It doesn't mean that all government officials are good. They are not. But what it does mean is that the the establishment of government, the concept of government, is something God established for 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 the good of the people in the lives that that they lived. You, you understand what I'm saying? That it, ha- that it has, had, has its good purposes in what God intended for it. So the idea of paying taxes or whatever else. But because not all governments are good or because not all governments make good choices, there is also at least part of the reason for that Jesus' response, render to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, but render unto God what belongs to God. So therefore, it was morally right in World War II, for instance, for residents of Europe to, um, to disobey the, the German Nazi government. It was morally right for them to, to stand against it because what they stood for was against the things that were to be rendered unto God, the things that were godly. Do you understand if that makes sense? Now, listen, we, we live, we happen to live, you and I, in a, in a country where the form of government basically is that one where the people, in a sense, govern themselves by electing representatives who supposedly speak for and act on behalf of the people, right? This, this democracy thing. That we live with. Now, some people would argue that that our system of government has become so corrupt and so money-driven that that it's virtually impossible for the average person to to be represented uh, 
the way they really would want to be represented. But the fact still remains that it is the form of government that you and I have, and that form of government was established so that you and I could live in peace and not have to fear uh, consequences of doing wrong if we're doing what is right. Now, the context of the thing is specifically referring to government, okay? I think that's clear. I think I've run that over several times. It's clearly referring to government, but it would apply to every area of your life, right? I mean, every aspect of it, because we're in this world, right? You work a job, and unless you're, the, unless you're the CEO, and even the CEO may have somebody who reports to, but, but you work a job, and, and you're accountable to somebody, and we, we have our kids involved in, in maybe uh, public uh, sports or, or different kinds of things in the community, and we interact in our community— we still have that idea of this, this idea that I am to render to Caesar. I'm to render to those things of the world what, whatever is there, but always in our minds there is the idea that I render unto God what belongs to God. And when those two conflict, the right perspective keeps the world in its place. Do you understand what I'm saying? All right, let's see if, it, let's see if we can push it just a little bit. Let's go to the, to the second um, second statement this morning, and it's this. Let's talk about a promise that leaves the world in its place. Now, this is, this is going to be interesting for y'all, so, or at least I sure hope so. Some Sadducees who say that there is no resurrection, no resurrection came to Jesus and began questioning him, saying, Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves behind a wife and leaves no child, his brother should marry the wife and raise up children to his brother. Well, there were seven brothers, and the first took a wife and died, leaving no children. Well, the second one married her and died, leaving no children, and the third likewise. And so all seven left no children. Last of all, the woman died also. Verse 23. In the resurrection, when they rise again, which one's wife will she be? For all seven had married her. See, there's the next question. Listen to Jesus' response. Verse 24, Jesus said to them, Is this not the reason you are mistaken? That you do not understand the scriptures or the power of God. Do you know what he just said to them? Y'all are ignorant. Y'all, you're ignorant of the scriptures. And watch what he says, verse 25. For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. But regarding the fact that the dead rise again, have you not read in the book of Moses in the passage about the burning bush how God spoke to him saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. You are greatly mistaken. Here's this promise. Here's this promise that we need to weigh against the world. The, 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 the Pharisees and the Herodians, they're dispatched. They're sin packing. They have no answer for, what, for Jesus' answer. So then come the Sadducees. That was another part of the religious establishment, okay? The, the two of them kind of coexisted, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. But along come the Sadducees. And where, where the Pharisees and the Herodians tried to get Jesus in trouble with, with either the government or with the the people, the, the Sadducees, they're just going to make him look bad. They're going to try and make him look silly by presenting to him the most ridiculous situation that could possibly exist. Uh, Rabbi, Moses uh, allowed that if a man uh, was married and he didn't have any children 
and he died, his brother was to marry him and have children in his name. Now, that was true. Deuteronomy, uh, I think 25.5 um, uh, said that, if, a, that if, a, if two brothers lived together and, and one of them was married and he died and, and had no children, that the widow was not to go and marry someone outside of the family, that uh, she was to marry uh, her, her deceased husband's brother and he would have children in his brother's name. Now listen, I know that sounds really weird to us, right? I know that's like bizarro world. I mean, it's just, it's just strange. But keep in mind, number one, it, it did not, does not, never did apply to us. It was specifically for the nation of Israel, and it had to do with the whole uh, dividing up of the, of the promised land and the different tribes and who got what. And, and, and so there were some purposes in that in its day, but, but it didn't apply to us. Well, they said, so, so this guy dies, and his brother marries him, but he dies too. He doesn't have any children. And so his brother marries him, but he, he doesn't have any children. He dies too. And so on and on this goes through seven brothers, right? Right? Come on. Seven brothers. They all die. None of them have any children. Okay. I, I'm, just, I'm just saying. If you're like brother five, brother six, brother seven, at, at, at some point, are you checking to see whether she's spiking the Kool-Aid or something? Because, you know... Come on. Really? This is... So, and keep this in mind, too. The text tells us very clearly in verse 18, some Sadducees who say there is no resurrection. They don't even believe in the resurrection. They don't even believe in the story that they're handing Jesus. And Jesus puts them in their place, too. When he tells them, you're just ignorant of the Scriptures and the power of God, you don't understand. But then he gives some clarification. Okay, since they brought up this whole marriage and remarriage thing and, you know, heaven and everything, he, he brings some, some clarification. First, I want you to notice uh, that he's in, in uh, verse 23, he says, in the resurrection. Okay, so Jesus immediately establishes that there will be a resurrection. Come on, did I hear an amen in there? I think I, that there will be a resurrection. So he doesn't quib about that. Oh, you're ignorant. You don't even know what you're talking about. In the resurrection, so he established that fact. Now, let me, let me say this. Jesus, you listen to me? Jesus does not say we become angels. Okay? That's a bad piece of theology that has floated around for a long time. We do not become angels, folks. I, I hope that doesn't, doesn't burst your theological bubble. But we do not become angels. But within the context of talking about marriage and being in heaven, Jesus says we will become like the angels of he or in heaven. In other words, there's no biblical evidence whatsoever that angels marry or have any type of sexual relations or anything like that. In, in Scripture, angels are always mentioned in the masculine, and they are never mentioned in any type of sexual, you know, marital type of relationship. It doesn't exist. So what Jesus is saying to you, y'all ready? You and your spouse, if you're married, you and your spouse may both be followers of Jesus and be in heaven together for all of eternity, but it will not be in the same sense that it is down here. 
Oh, yeah, I wonder whether I get an actual amen out of that. Wow. Wow. It's nice knowing him. There's... No, you, listen, I don't, know, I don't know whether that makes you feel good or bad. And, and we're not going to ask for a show of hands. But, but there's the deal right there. He says it's not going to be the same as it is down here. Well, what's it going to be like? I don't know. I haven't been there yet. But I, but I know what Jesus says, that it's not, you're, it's, it's not this marrying, giving in marriage. It's not, it's not this same thing anymore. You know, can I just say this as I thought about it? Truthfully, truthfully, I think that, that in heaven, heaven is so great. It is so, whatever all it is, this totally other dimension that we, that, 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 that we live in, that is different from the dimension we live in now. It, it will be the love that we will experience in heaven is so profound, so tremendous, so complete, so full for everybody that it, 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 nothing in this life pales in, it all pales in comparison to it. I'm not, and I'm not knocking marriage down here and, I'm, and our love for our spouse is fantastic and it's great and, and it should be, but, but I, somehow in heaven, I think our love is going to be so grandiose, so magnificent that it, and it'll be that way for everybody. Um, there's this, this promise. And in, in, in verse, um, I think it's 26 and 27, he, he, Jesus says this to him. He says, now, he, he straightens out the whole marriage thing. He says, but regarding the fact that the dead rise again, have you not read in the book of Moses, in the passage about the burning bush, how God spoke to him? So he, when, when God spoke to Moses in the burning bush, y'all remember that? Some of y'all heard that before? When he spoke to him, all right, uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob uh, long since lived on this earth, right? They've long since died. But when God spoke to Moses in the burning bush, how God spoke to him saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He's not the God of the dead, but of the living. Sadducees, you are very mistaken. God is a God of the living. Ladies and gentlemen, there it is right there. There's the promise. There's the promise that, that whatever this life is, okay, good, bad, ugly, indifferent, up, down, whatever all this life is, listen to me. Someday we're taking all of this off. We're laying all of this down. And there is a promise of something so much greater than what we have here. And you may love your life and you may think I have a great life and it's tremendous, but it is nothing compared to the promise of what is waiting for you and waiting for me in eternity. Nothing like it. I, Cindy and I, um, we're not going as often now, but back in the early days after I got out of the hospital, we were making lots of trips uh, every week back and forth to Winston-Salem. And somebody sent us an audio copy of the book, 90 Minutes in Heaven. And I'm not going to give a bunch of stuff about the book away. Uh, we enjoyed listening to it. But, but it is this account, the story of this man um, who, who died and, and says that he went to heaven for 90 minutes. It's an inter- it's interesting story. But toward the end of the book, uh, he begins to just talk about how God has used this book and, and used what happened to him in other people's lives. And one of the persons that he mentions is a young college student. Uh, the, the man that had, that had died and gone to heaven was asked years later to speak at a college campus, speak to a Christian organization. He went there, he spoke to them, he talked about what he experienced in his life, and afterwards he said this young man came up to him just 
just like wouldn't leave him alone. You know, just like all up in his, in his face and he's asking all this about heaven and this about heaven and that about heaven and, and all this. And, and the guy that wrote the book said it, it was almost annoying. You know, because this guy just, this kid just followed me everywhere. Other people were trying to talk to me, but he kept coming in. And when, when I, they took him somewhere else on the campus, and he, he, he just wouldn't leave him alone. The man found out uh, later that the young college student uh, apparently had a very, very serious heart defect. And either had already been told by the doctors, or the Lord had revealed to him that he was, he was not going to live very long. And the account that he heard was over the, the next, and I think it was a couple months, that, that this young man lived before he, he suddenly uh, died. That he was, he was consumed with telling people about the reality of heaven. He was a believer, but after hearing that guy speak that day and hearing him talk about heaven, uh, he was just consumed with this idea that heaven is real and I'm going there and it doesn't matter what happens to me in this life and just on and on. And he, he would share that with anybody and everybody that would listen to him or not listen to him. It was that promise, that idea that this really is real. It, it, it really is real. It's not a pipe dream. It's not a, you know, something somebody came up. This really is real, and I'm really going to that place. And when, when I can hold on to that promise, that promise keeps, it keeps the world in its place for my life. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? Because, because sure, we're in this world, and yes, and, uh, and, and you guys, you've all Many of you heard me say this. There's nothing wrong with having possessions. There, there's really not, unless they possess you. And then that's when the order gets out of balance and we, get, we, we really get messed up because we forget that the, the, the bad things that happen to us, the good things that happen to us, the, 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 the can't pay my rent, the, the big house, to the, well, it's, it's all going away. And there's something far greater waiting for us. That's, that's the promise. I, I, Sheesh, I don't have to do this, but time to do this. But let me, let me just real quickly bring up 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Uh, maybe you've read some of this. Paul's giving this argument for the resurrection of Jesus. But, but I want to listen to some of what he says. Now, if Christ has preached that he's been raised from the dead, how do so, uh, some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. Your faith also is in vain. Moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of God because we testified against God that he raised Christ uh, whom he did not raise if, in fact, the dead are not raised. You understand what he's saying? If the dead aren't really raised, then we've, been, we've been telling everybody that God raised Christ from the dead. Well, we've been lying about God if he didn't raise him from the dead. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You're still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. But now Christ has been raised from the dead. The first what? The first fruits of those who fall asleep. I, I won't bother reading the other part of 1 Corinthians 15, but Paul, in essence, is saying, if there is no resurrection, if it all ends in this life, 50 years, 80 years, you know, uh, however many years that each of us has, if it ends with this, he says, then this is, the, this is the stupidest, this is the most ridiculous religion in the history of the world, because we're giving this life away. As followers of Jesus, we're trying to give this life away. We're trying to do for others. We're trying to put others first. We're trying to deny ourselves things when everybody else in the world is em embracing those things. We're saying no to those things. This is ridiculous if there's no resurrection from the dead. But there is a resurrection from the dead. And that is the promise 
that you and I have. And that promise, that promise, if we keep that promise where it belongs, that helps us keep the world where it belongs. I'm in this world, I interact, I have the things, this world, I'm doing, but that's not, that's not the promise. All of this is going away. And I'm going to lay this earthly tent down at some point. Okay, real quick, I want to try and just at least touch on the last, uh, the last proposition this morning, and it's this, a priority that puts the world in its place. Um, look at, I'm pick it up in verse 28. Now listen. One of the scribes came and heard them arguing and recognizing that he had answered them well, asked him, uh, what commandment is the greatest or the foremost of all? What's the greatest commandment? Uh, Jesus answered, the foremost is hero Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, right, teacher, you have truly stated that he is one and there's no one else beside him and to love him with all the heart, with all the understanding, with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as himself, watch this, is, more, is much more than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. The religious part of it. And when Jesus saw that he had answered intelligently, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one would venture to ask him any more questions. This third guy, this third individual, he's a scribe. A scribe is, again, part of the religious leadership, but they are the guys that copy down and recopy the Word of God. They make handwritten copies of the Word of God and probably other religious documents, but that, that's, that's what they did. Now, the fact that it says that, um, uh, that he recognized that Jesus answered them well, meaning the Sadducees and the Pharisees and the Herodians and all them, the fact that he, he recognized that he answered them well doesn't necessarily mean that this guy was a fan of Jesus. As a matter of fact, I think one of the other gospel writers claimed that this guy was, was trying to catch Jesus as well. He was, he was trying to trip him up. He was trying to, I don't know, maybe he, maybe he thought he could uh, succeed where the others had failed. Maybe he thought he could be known as the guy that got Jesus. Whatever he was thinking, he, he was sorely mistaken because Jesus responds with an, an unbelievably theologically correct answer. His response is uh, from Deuteronomy chapter 6, I think verse 4 and 5, and Leviticus 19, 18. And, and those, to love the Lord God with their heart, soul, mind, strength, to love your neighbor as yourself. It, it, is, it is the perfect encapsulation of what God's desire is for your life. There it is, right there. As a matter of fact, if you look in uh, Exodus chapter 20 or Deuteronomy chapter 5 where the Ten Commandments are listed, you, you'll find, and many of you know this already, that the first four commandments deal with uh, our relationship to God and the remaining six uh, commandments deal with our relationship to each other. And Jesus brings them all together in this one response. And in a moment of absolute honesty, the scribe, and remember, he's a scribe. He copies the word of God all day. So maybe he was in a unique position to particularly appreciate Jesus' thoroughly biblical answer. But he says, well, well said, rabbi. Good answer, rabbi. He commends him for what he says, he repeats what Jesus says, for you're right, the Lord is one, and to love him all your heart, all your soul, your mind, your strength, to love your neighbor as yourself. And then he adds just this little, just this little 
uh, comment at the end. Do I, do I have the comment up there, Tyler? I can't remember. Um, is much more than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, to love your neighbor as yourself, that is much more than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. Well, the burnt offering and the sacrifices, that's what it was all about for Israel. That's what it was all about, this, this stale, formal religion. And, and what this guy knew was that was never Never had been, never would be, never will be the intention of God. God's intention would be that you would have a personal, ongoing, vibrant, living relationship with God. Listen to me. That's what God wants for your life. Not not stale formalism, not walk through the motions, not anything like that, but that you could love the Lord your God with every ounce of who you are and that that love of God would, would naturally spill out onto other people and that you would love them in a way that demonstrates the love that you have for God. That's, that's what he desires for our lives. And the scribe says, man, you're exactly right and it's better than than anything. And Jesus responds and says, dude, you're, you're not far from the kingdom of God. In other words, he, he really understood it. He had it up here, understood that it wasn't about the formalism. It wasn't about religion. It was about a relationship with the living God. And, and Jesus, in essence, is saying to him, if you could move it from here to here, you'd be there. You'd get it. You'd understand that that's how, that's how you keep the, the right perspective. That's how you keep the world where it belongs and all that's in it. And I'm part, I'm, I understand I'm living in this world. But to realize that, that what is spiritual, what is eternal, is far greater. That's my relationship with God. That, in the end, is what really matters. Let me show you a passage. Maybe you've read it before. Matthew chapter 6 says this. So I tell you, don't worry about the food or drink you need to live or about the clothes you need for your life. You understand? Just, just the things of life, right? We got to have them. Nobody wants to see you naked around here tonight, today, right? We got to have clothes. We got to have food. We got to have that kind of stuff. Uh, or about the clothes you need for your body. Life is more than food and the body is more than clothes. Look at the birds of the air. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, but your heavenly Father feeds them, and you know that you are worth much more than the birds, and you cannot add any time to your life by worrying about it. And why do you worry about clothes? Look at how the lilies of the field grow. They don't work or make clothes for themselves, but I tell you that even Solomon with his riches was not dressed as beautifully as one of these flowers. God clothes the grass in the field, which is alive Today, but tomorrow is thrown into the fire, so you can be even more sure that God will clothe you. Don't have so little faith. Don't worry and say, oh, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? The people who don't know God keep trying to get these things, and your Father in heaven knows that you need them. Here it is, wrapping it up. Seek first God's kingdom and what God wants, and then all your other needs will be met as well. There's, there's the distinction between the here and now and the there and then, the physical and the spiritual, to realize all I have to do is focus on my relationship with God. Forget about the job I like or don't like. Forget about the aspirations that I had that don't seem to be coming uh, to fruition. Forget about how much money is, is or is not in my checking account. Forget about the health or the diagnosis that I've gotten. or anything. Forget about all that stuff and focus on just who I am with God, about this relationship with Him. And out of that relationship will come my relationship to everybody else. I'll want to love them because His love 
is being manifested through me. And if you can keep that, folks, if, that's, if you hold on to that idea, then the, the, this, this struggle that it is sometimes in our life to keep the physical where it belongs and the spiritual where it belongs, they come together. I don't mean that they're mutually exclusive. The spiritual acts within the physical, but when I understand what the greater priority is, what the greater thing is, is for me for the focus on the kingdom of God and what God wants in my life what God's relationship looks like in my life, that's when everything else falls into place. Three questions intended to shut Jesus up once and for all. But when Jesus was finished, it was his enemies and critics who had nothing to say. As a matter of fact, at the end of the text we looked at today, it says, After that, no one would venture to ask him many more questions. Jesus' answers to their questions left no doubt that he was no ordinary rabbi. But Jesus' answers also help us today to understand how to live in this world and yet remain apart from this world. It's not always easy, but God has equipped us for the task. He's also given us a promise that He has something waiting for us someday, an eternity that is far better than anything this world has to offer. We're glad you joined us for this week's Crosswalk. Pastor Clay is the author of the book, I Get It, Discovering How to Really Live in the Promises of God. My prayer is that God would use it to help some people understand a few things about what it really takes to live in the promises of God. God wants you to live a life of peace and purpose and meaning and hope and fulfillment and contentment. He wants you to live a life without fear and without anxiety. Many people at some point in their lives feel disconnected with the type of life and faith that they read about in the Bible and what their lives look like on a daily basis. What is it that we're missing? What is it that we're not getting? If I'm not really living in the promises of God, why is that? That's what this book explores. I Get It is available online in electronic versions for the Nook and Kindle, as well as paperback form from Amazon.com. And ask for it by name at your favorite local bookstore. You can go in bookstores and just say, hey, uh, have you got a book in here uh, entitled I Get It from Slay Stevens? They can order this book out of their catalogs that they get. Get your copy of I Get It today. Discover the promises of God and the steps you need to take to get it. And join us here each week online for another Crosswalk message. God has invited us to know Him through His Word, the Bible, a perfect record of God's revelation to man and applicable for every area of our lives. And if you're in the Raleigh area, we invite you to be a part of cross-culture worship. We meet at 1030 every Sunday morning at the Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540, exit 7. We're a church, but instead of religion, we're about relationships. And instead of rituals, we practice realness. Our desire is to be used by God to show people that a life built on the finished work of Christ on the cross is where you'll find what you're looking for. I'm not the water, I'm not the bread, but I know the place where you Cross-Culture Church, taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross. Visit us online at crossculturelife.org.